This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Mississippi has some 255,000 acres of longleaf pine. Almost half the acreage is in Paris, Perry, Forest, and Lamar counties in southeast Mississippi. And this longleaf pine area of the state is home to some truly unique wildlife. So today, Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is here to talk about the longleaf pine ecosystem and two of the animals that call it home, the black pine snake and the gopher tortoise. If you've ever had an encounter with any of these creatures or maybe you have a pet question for Dr. Major, you can join the conversation with a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464. Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, good morning. Hope that everyone is doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Libby, you always like to start out by uh, talking about some events going on. A couple of things. Uh, Let's see. Both of these are on the coast. Tomorrow, May the 11th. No, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. Yeah. (laughs) Saturday, May the 11th. Uh, there's a lease turn fest in Gulfport, Mississippi, from 10 to 3, celebrating the um, uh, return of the lease turns, T-E-R-N. <laughs> and uh, there'll be live music and food trucks and games and art activities for kids and all kinds of fun and some information about the per- turns. And uh, then... Uh, let's see. Also on Saturday, the Mississippi uh, Coast Audubon Society's got a field trip in DeSoto National Forest, and they'll be looking for red cockaded woodpeckers and other nesting birds um, in that great pine savanna. Pine and prairie warblers will probably be seen, common yellowthroat, indigo buntings, blue grosbeak, brown-headed nuthatches. Uh, possibly uh, flycatchers and maybe even uh, um, a few rare birds, including the red-cockaded woodpecker. So if you want to do that, the best thing to do is to just do a search of Mississippi Coast Audubon because there's a phone number you need to call to let them know you're coming. All right. And, uh, Matt, you wanted to mention something at the top of the show. Yeah, um, not just for gopher tortoises, but for any turtles. Uh, this is the time of year when they're really moving around a lot across, and you'll see them on the roads. Um, most of the time, it's the females trying to find places to lay their eggs. And I uh, just wanted to do a shout-out to uh, the Central Mississippi Turtle Rescue. They are available for folks that might find an injured tortoise, tortoise or turtle on the road. Uh, if you just Google Central Mississippi Turtle Rescue, they also have a phone number, 601-845-1932, if you want to get in touch with them. They wouldn't be able to necessarily come and get it for you. These are good folks that have full-time jobs, so they um, they would need you to get in touch with them and possibly bring it to them. They're down in Florence. But I just wanted to remind everybody, just watch out for critters crossing the road this time of year. There's lots of turtles out there, especially if it's dry and then we get a little burst of rain, you're going to see a bunch of turtles crossing the road. So just be careful out there. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of emails to get to, but I had a question that I've been thinking about for a while, and it, uh, mentioning a bird reminded me. All right, so we've learned that sometimes birds, their calls are to communicate with other birds for mating purposes, so on and so mm-hmm. forth. All right. 
The mockingbird, we have learned, imitates the calls of other birds. Does the mockingbird have its own call so it, when it wants to talk to the other mockingbirds, knows what's to say? It does not, which is a very strange thing. They may have something worked out that nobody knows yet, but uh, they seem to talk each other in various languages. And the female mockingbird knows at least as much as we know about him so she knows that's him when he's repeating the cardinal song four times so uh, as far as we know they don't have their own particular song okay that's interesting and they learn to do all that as an adult you know there are strange uh, situations where they've repeated uh, alarms and like a, a, a person's uh, alarm that wakes them up every morning if they're close to that and can hear it they'll start repeating that at odd times of the day which can be a problem but now parrots they repeat things but they do have their own language is that right dr major that's true uh and a lot of times it seems like a squawk to us uh they can make some pretty awful noises when they want to but yes they they do communicate with their own uh voice and especially you know in the wild how many of those pick up words uh that uh they don't have the chance actually but parrots would be a a good mimic of of uh, what they hear and they can have quite a large repertoire uh and sometimes some words that they shouldn't say (laughs) uh yeah but my dad used to tell a a joke back in the day about that but that's uh, not suitable for work so we'll, we'll skip over that uh, here's an email that says, My dog Sapphire is a pound puppy, mostly schnauzer, 30 pounds. Friendly, hyper-round visitors, but basically just a sweet dog. She's become very sensitive and nervous during thunderstorms, retreating to her crate and sitting, shaking with her tongue hanging out. Last week we had thunderstorms followed by a neighbor with fireworks, and she hasn't recovered. She won't go out into her play area, won't go for a walk, has to be pulled by her leash to be manly led outside to go to the bathroom, just wants to lay down most of the day inside of me. Will she recover I hate yanking her around to go outside, but have to for bathroom breaks. She's also eating less. Well, sounds like she's had a pretty traumatic event, or at least this whole combination of thunderstorms and fireworks. Usually they do recover from that. Of course, here in Mississippi, we may have thunderstorms every other day or every day for a while. I would say that this would be a dog that probably should have some sort of medication. Uh, Talk to your veterinarian about that. In some dogs, the thundershirt slash swaddling type uh, uh, outfit seems to help some. Uh, but I would suggest at this point that this dog probably needs some, some medication to try to help uh, with, with this fear. And also with a re- kind of a adverse or a, an extreme reaction like that, it being a pound puppy, there might have been something that happened to this dog before she was adopted uh, that might be playing into this. Right, exactly. It sounds like she was doing pretty good, though, prior to this this episode, but it could reinforce something that's happened in the past. Okay. Uh, last week we were talking about fireflies. We have an email here that says, Listening to the show, would love to have fireflies in my yard. I have a huge magnolia and has had uh, about for about 10-plus years, but it's never had any fireflies. I don't use any pesticides, but could it be because the city of Pascagoula sprays frequently for mosquitoes? Do you have any reports about trends of any firefly species in Mississippi? Or are they in decline, at least in towns? Uh, yes, we do think that fireflies are one of the things that are in decline, and particularly in urban areas and uh, 
Bug spray does affect them. I can't say for sure what's going on there. Mowing also affects them and lighting. So really what you may be dealing with where you are, the biggest problem may be lighting. They, you know, and I get this question a lot is, well, how can, how can lights kill an animal? Well, what happens is they've got to have the light to find their mate. And so they only live that one year and they need to mate and then eggs. So if, if they don't find mates because there's so much light pollution, then that population of, of insects die out. That are, each little firefly is going to die anyway. Mm-hmm. So because they're just, you know, they don't overwinter. They just do one time as a larva. So in that way, you basically kill out a population by having too much light. And it's hard in an urban area not to have too much light. Yeah, yeah. All right, this other one is an email that has a picture attached to it. Uh, and they think it's a lightning bug, and they were trying to figure out which one. So Libby, if you would take a look at that, see if you can identify which of the fireflies here in Mississippi. I called it a lightning it bug. It certainly does look like a lightning bug or firefly. Um I need to be able to see a little more. It could be one of our. There's also bugs tours, that look like. Yeah, there are also bugs. mimics. Yeah, <laughs> so um, I can't see well enough because basically what I've got here is a good silhouette. Right. It's a silhouette that certainly could be one, and I'll get in touch with this person maybe and see if they can send me a color picture that. Okay. We can get more information. The good thing, though, it does say they brought it in, looked at it, but then let it back outside. So yeah, that's were good. Very considerate of that. Um, if you're a kind of person who goes online a lot, there are several places where you can, again, just do a search of firefly images, and you can get some good pictures and figure out what you've got that way. Sometimes. All right. Uh, time for our first break of the hour. When we return, we'll talk with our guest Matt Hinderleiter about. Uh, a, uh, what we're talking about, uh, the longleaf pine ecosystem this morning and the creatures that live there. Uh, if you have a question or a comment and you'd like to join the conversation, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more, so stay tuned. MPB listeners pay attention to quality. They look for quality in their work and their daily lives. If your business cares about quality customers, look to MPB. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting for more information. We're back on Creature Comforts. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. He joins the show to talk about the longleaf pine forest. And if you want to join your conversation with a question or a comment, the phone number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Matt, uh, glad to have you back on the show. If you would, remind us a little bit about your background and the work that you do with the Fish and Wildlife Service. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, So I've been with the Fish and Wildlife Service about eight years, Um, originally from New Jersey, but moved down to Mississippi in 2004. I was the gopher tortoise biologist at Camp Shelby for about seven or eight years. And now I'm with the Fish and Wildlife Service, where I'm actually still studying, still working with gopher tortoises, and my other species that I'm the lead for is the black pine snake. So a lot of my work is in South Mississippi in the Pine Belt. Okay. Uh, How would you describe the longleaf pine area of Mississippi? 
Well, uh, the native longleaf pine ecosystem is really um, it evolved into a very it is managed by fire over over the years over the millennia, and it's um, it really needs that fire to maintain the open canopy and the the wide open savannas and grasslands that are down there. Um, it's typically you get these sandy. Uh, hilltops and ridges, and that's where a lot of these animals tend to be. But obviously, that's where humans like to be as well, is on those ridges. That's where they like to put roads. So that's why a lot of our pine belt species are um, in danger sometimes, where they um, they have uh, they have to cross roads a lot, and they have to deal with where people want to put their houses and things. So. Um. So, uh, what? Uh, so, we're going to be talking about two of the animals uh, that call these area homes. Uh, well, let's start and tell us a bit about the gopher, the gopher tortoise. Well, there's a about a little over thirty species of turtles in Mississippi. Most of them are aquatic, but we do have a few terrestrial uh, turtles. We have the box turtle. There's several subspecies in the state, but then the biggest one is the gopher tortoise. So this is. An animal that does not go in the water, it lives in burrows in the Pine Belt area in these sandy soils. It digs these long burrows. It's about the size of a dinner plate. It's a lot bigger than a, than a box turtle is going to be, and it can't pull itself completely into its shell uh, like a box turtle can. So that would be the biggest difference. And um, they're really important in the ecosystem that they live in because of these burrows that they dig are used by hundreds of other animals, and it's a really important um, critter down there in the Pine Belt. Uh, let's uh, go back a little bit. It's interesting to me about uh, that you mentioned uh, fire is the main way that the ecosystem sort of regenerates itself. So um, it's just like maybe natural a, a lightning strike or something. And so talk a little bit about how fire actually helps regenerate things. Yeah, uh, so the fire that typically happened o- over the years uh, was was at the highest in May and June. Uh, that's when the, this part of the country gets the most lightning strikes. So that's how this uh, ecosystem kind of came to be, was dealing with fire on a very regular basis. And what the fire does is it keeps the hardwoods down. It keeps a lot of these uh, herbaceous ground cover plants, keeps them lush, keeps different ones coming in at different times. And it also, um, because the longleaf pine is very fire tolerant, you can burn it when it's very, very young. It actually doesn't get wiped out by these fires uh, that would come that would roll through on a fairly regular regular basis. And so now, are uh, is are we managing that same way with fire? I know that humans have learned to use fire uh, in the same way that nature has. So have we continued to use that way to help regenerate the area? That. We're trying to. That's our that's our best tool for uh, managing longleaf pine forests. Uh, sometimes, if it's a little thick and it needs some other restoration, you might come in with some mechanical or chemical applications. But eventually, where we want to get to is to manage these these forests with fire because that's the natural way that it was always maintained and uh, fairly frequently, and especially around this time of year uh, is when it has the best um, effect on the on the ecosystem. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio, and today we're visiting with Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, talking about the longleaf pine area of southeast Mississippi and the creatures that live there, where we've begun our discussion about the gopher tortoise. If you're listening and have a question or a comment you'd like to join in, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring Our phone number is one eight seven seven six seven two. 
7464. You can email the show as well if you send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Matt, I remember from your earlier visits that idea about the uh, the gopher tortoises' burrows being used by other creatures. Um, is it like he goes to work and the snake moves in while he's gone? Or I mean, <laughs> do they share? Or are they sometimes in there at the same time? Uh, yeah, they are actually, and a lot of the ones that use it are things like crickets and spiders that don't wouldn't bother the tor- tortoise at all. But uh, obviously, there's other critters that are using it, mice, and lots of different kinds of snakes will be found in there, and often at the same time. Uh, we've actually done surveys where you put a camera down a tortoise burrow, and you kind of have to push past the rattlesnake to see the tortoise in behind them. So they'll be cohabitating in there uh, fairly regularly. And uh, how often is the the tortoise in its burrow? Is it a, a day night kind of thing mostly, or what? Um, around the it depends what time of year. Uh, over the winter, they're pretty much in there all the time. Um, and then in the, in the summer, they only come out in the morning, and then in the afternoon, they, they're missing the most extreme parts of the the temperature range, where whatever month it might be. And are the tortoises either endangered or threatened? They are federally threatened, uh, so that's where I come in, but they're also state endangered. So the uh, state of Mississippi, the wildlife agency here, has a lot of, they're doing a lot of work with us to protect the tortoises and try to recover them so they're, they don't have to be listed anymore. And uh, I think you mentioned it earlier, but is the, the biggest threat to them the fact that roads and, and civilization, if you can call it that, is kind of chopping up their habitat? Uh, yeah, there's there's different forms of what we call habitat fragmentation, habitat modification. If people cut down, uh, you know, in the 20s and 30s, most of South Mississippi, the longleaf was cut down. A lot of that was replaced with other tree species that maybe more, you know, you get a, get a quicker economic return, but it wasn't the native ecosystem. So a lot of the, the habitat has been lost. Um, roads are an issue, and especially when things areas get overgrown, those roadsides are the only places left that have grass. These are herbivores, so the tortoises need uh, plants uh, on the ground to eat. So if they get pushed onto roadsides as the only available uh, habitat, then they might actually get hit by a car. All right. Uh, talk a little bit about how, how they spend the day. You said you're, uh, they're mostly out about in the early morning and in the afternoon to avoid the, the, the hot South Mississippi sun, but... Uh, how do they spend their day? And then um, you mentioned that they munch on plants. Mm-hmm. So the it's a little bit different between the, the sexes. The uh, We did a lot of uh, radio tracking of tortoises when I was at Camp Shelby. And we um, the females will typically only use a few burrows in the year. But the males will use a 10 to 15 different burrows throughout the year. A lot of their time is spent looking for mates. They're always wandering around seeing where the girls are. So that's a big part of their day. Uh, when they're not eating, they're out trying to find where the, the females are. So the females typically stay put near their main burrows and wait for the males to uh, to come to them. So there is a really uh, complex social structure. You might not think so just looking at a single burrow, but they know about all their neighbors. They're very long-lived, uh, 50 to 70 years old, we think. So uh, they know the area that they're in, and they know all their neighbors really well. And so how, how large of an area would they call, quote-unquote, home? How much of a range do they have? Well, uh, being a turtle, it's not that big. Uh, just a few uh, acres, really, or about five to ten acres, typically. And uh, But they overlap quite a bit. Um, we think that a, a viable population needs about a couple hundred turtles over a few hundred acres, and that will be 
a really strong, healthy population. They'll have plenty of opportunity to find each other and um, to plenty of opportunity for the, the hatchlings and the, uh, the juveniles to find places to move through. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Hey, we've got some open phone lines. If you're listening and want to join in the conversation, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We're visiting today with Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We've been talking about gopher tortoises, and we'll also include in our discussion other creatures that call the longleaf pine ecosystem in southeast Mississippi home. We'll be back with more after this, so stay tuned. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We're talking today about the longleaf pine ecosystem in southeast Mississippi and some of the creatures that call it home. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning with your comment or question, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464, or you can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Got a caller on the line, but first, Libby, we were chatting during the break. You wanted to give us a quick update on uh, fireflies that, that you've been seeing. Oh, just saying that we do have our synchronous fireflies out here in uh, central Mississippi and getting good reports of them along the coast. Um, our watcher, I think we mentioned that before, that the guy down in Covington mm-hmm. has been at peak lately. This rain is going to knock them back a little bit for a few days, but uh, let's get back out All right. as soon as it dries up and look for them again. All right. We've got uh, Kathleen from Osaka on the line. Good morning, Kathleen. Go ahead. Oh, good morning, gang. Listen, um, I love the show about the turtles. Um, point, though, I still haven't seen my synchronous fireflies since um, the first time I saw them. So I think they packed up and moved. Well, but, uh, mm, they're probably know, not out yet. Uh, you're, in, you're north of Jackson, right? No, no, no. no. Uh, as we say down here, we're just a couple of miles from Britney Spears. Oh, okay. You're you're south. Very yeah. south. Well, don't give up yet. Keep looking. Yeah, get okay. out about nine as soon as the rain's over. And oh, I, see. I yeah. do. Good. Um, also, I have a question. I've always been wondering about them on the colorations of the turtles. I had found one one time that's got the bright orange, and he's. He or she, I don't know, do they have anything to do with the sex of the turtle or the type of the turtle? Yeah, uh, depending on the species, there are different colorations that the males will have, eye color, shell color, uh, the, the legs. They'll have uh, stripes on the, yellow stripes on the neck, sometimes red on the shell. A red, red-eared slider obviously has a little red on the side of its head. So there's, there's a lot of different coloration uh, variety. Okay, because I actually carry a cardboard box. Good. Van, Excellent. So do I. Just to make sure that they don't get waylaid on the side of the road or anything. But the um, I do that only because one time I was passing into the town and I saw the little turtle and it was stuck right almost on the yellow line. So I said, "Well, you know, I'm not supposed to touch him, so I'll go on." And I when I was coming back through, somebody had hit it. Mm-hmm. So I do pick them up, but I've got acreage and I have habitat for them. I don't go out of my way to get them, but if they find themselves in the middle of the road for me, I have been known to, I break for turtles. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
That's wonderful. The uh, I do the same thing. Um, obviously, you need to make sure you're safe when you do that. Um, but oh yeah, yeah. And typically, you you just want to move them in the direction that they were heading. Uh, if you move them too far, they they might not know where they are, and they might just spend a lot of time trying to get back to their where they're from. So yeah. it, unless well, it's, I have one, I call her Abigail because she was the first one. I picked a funny name with an A, and. She came out while I was hanging clothes on the line almost two, three years in a row there and was walking around at my feet like, I guess, can you say she knew me, recognized me? I don't know. But I, I greeted the call, and I was glad to have her. And don't you know, one time she actually dug a little hole a few feet from me watching and, and put an egg in there. So wow. I'm going, well, she's saying it's okay. She trusts you, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, Kathleen, always good to hear from you. Thanks for your call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We've got some open phone lines if you'd like to call in today at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 7464 Our guest today is Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Uh, so, Matt, uh, we've been talking about the, the gopher tortoise. Um, is there anything that uh, possibly landowners in southeast Mississippi or just the average Joe might could do to help uh, protect the gopher tortoise? Well, uh, if you live in the right part of the state, again, in the Pine Belt, and you have some nice sandy soils, you, you could have tortoises if you have some wooded area, uh, especially pine. Um, and so the best thing to do is to try to maintain your habitat, try to maintain as much as you can to have some grassy, herbaceous understory. Uh, so obviously, they need something to eat and to keep the canopy fairly open. Obviously, these are reptiles, so they need sunlight hitting the floor. So if you want to have more tor- tortoises on your property, that's a good way to do it if you make the habitat uh, more suitable for them. Um, other things you can do if you want to try to work with the, your neighboring landowners and get uh, there's a lot of folks that are, will help you get fire on your ground on the, on your property if you'd like to do that. Um, there's lots of different programs available, both federal, state, uh, to help even cost share programs. They'll help pay for all these uh, activities to go on to thin your your land, to burn it if you want, and uh, so there's lots of different programs that you could uh, sign up for. And uh, it, with the burning thing, I mean, obviously it helps the, the gopher tortoise, but not just that. It really kind of opens up the whole ecosystem because, as you were said, kind of clearing out kind of dead stuff that didn't need to be there. Absolutely. Uh, again, the fire is the native way that this that this ecosystem manages itself. And so it not only helps the tortoises, it helps the deer, it helps the turkey. You get a lot more quail if, you, if you're in that part of the, the range. So it's it really does bring it back to the way that the ecosystem should be with all the critters that are supposed to be here they will start to thrive if you can start bringing regular fire back onto the landscape they they wouldn't be here if they hadn't evolved with fire as the main uh manager okay uh, we've got another caller on the line so let's say good morning to bert in indianola you're on the air with us bert go ahead please hi bert all right, we'll put him back on hold, see if we can get Bert uh, worked on so he can share what he has with us. Uh, let's um, switch uh, our conversation a little bit and the other creature that you uh, wanted to talk about today, Matt, and that's the black pine snake. So if you would, maybe give us a, a description. I'm 
guessing. This is just a guess that they're black. Uh, <laughs> but tell us and a little bit more about them. them. Yeah, they um, they are mostly black. The the juveniles will have a little bit of banding on them, but the adults are pretty much jet black all the way down. They're a big snake. The adults get to be about six feet long. So that's that's a, a big way that you can tell the difference between them and the the smaller black racers or black runners that, that are going to be around a lot in South Mississippi. So uh, we have about 40 species of snakes in Mississippi, again, both terrestrial and aquatic. Um, these are found very much so where the tortoises are found. So on those upland pine ridges, they like the sandy soil, just like the tortoises do. And they're found in a lot of the same counties in southeast Mississippi, not so much down right and on the coast, but in those upland pine forests in the southern uh, counties. So um, let's see what else. They are fairly slow-moving compared to other really the quicker snakes, and they, they have a pointed snout. That's one reason they need that sandier soil. They actually do some burrowing of their own. All right. Uh, are they one of Mississippi's venomous snakes? They are not. Uh, they There are six snakes in Mississippi that are venomous. There's three rattlesnakes. We have the cottonmouth and the copperhead and the coral snake, which are all found in the same general area as the pine snake, but it itself is not venomous, no. Okay. I think we've got uh, Bert back on the line, so Bert is calling in from Indianola. Good morning, Bert. Go ahead. Good morning. Morning. Uh, i got a question about moving turtles, but, but before I forget, does a Mississippi kite have a white head? I would say more gray than white. Yeah, I haven't seen uh, what? But it's got the, it's got uh-huh. the square tail, correct? It's kind of a fan-shaped tail that I've seen at my house. Yeah, the tell Mississippi. us what you're seeing, yeah. Well, um, I, I saw the bald eagle that's on 49 south of Yazoo recently. Um, but over my house, um, uh, over, over a place where I was working, uh, around Jackson, I saw a large bird, what I would have called a, a, a square tail, uh, maybe a little bit of a fan, pointed-tipped wings, but it looked to me like it had a, a very white head, and the rest of its body was very dark. Um, and I've, I've seen a few swallowtail kites, but I didn't know if the Mississippi kite uh, had a white head. Not that I've seen. They're pretty much kind of the whole body is different shades of gray yeah, to me. Yeah, that's what I've seen. Yeah. I'm trying to think what else it could um, be. What kind of habitat was this bird over? Um... It was residential pine. Was it close to the reservoir? Or could it have been another eagle? Is that what you're... Well, I, I didn't think the eagles... It, it was kind of gliding. It was It was gliding. Um, I think there were a bunch of buzzards nearby, um, but this was all by itself. And it didn't look as big just, as the buzzards then, yeah. I, I didn't think it was. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Um, and on the turtles, I, I've, I've, as I travel, I've stopped and I've moved some. But where's the fine line between, um, you know, moving them and then kind of, whether you call it natural selection or whatever taking place, if that was a diseased animal or oh, what okay. Um, typically, I I try to, if I can safely get out, I'll move any turtle I see across the road and just push it, give it a little bit of a boost. But... Um, I mean, we're not really, not a whole lot of natural selection with the roads that we've put out there. It's not really fair to them. um, But I wouldn't think that they'd be out there if they were diseased. It's typically, you know, they've got places to go and it's the females, they got eggs to lay. So 
as much as you can and as safely as you can, I would try to get them out of the road and just move them to the other side. And again, I'm, the only time I've ever moved one a little bit farther away is if it's all neighborhoods and it's just, and you might see a dog or something. You don't want to do that. But uh, for the most part, I would say just try to get them out of harm's way as quickly as you can. Good deal. Thank you. Thank right, you. Bert, thanks for your call. Let's stay on the phone lines. Next, we've got our buddy Timothy in Louisiana. Good morning, Timothy. Go ahead. Good. Good day, y'all. I'm very interested in planting some uh, longleaf yellow pine in my yard. Excellent. Okay, I've got four acres, and uh, it's on bayou frontage, um, and I've got a good assortment of hardwoods and, and softwoods, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But I remember um, reading a book when I was a kid that said that it's when they landed at Roanoke, a squirrel could leave Virginia and go all the way to Louisiana and stay in longleaf yellow pine. Mm-hmm. That's how it used and to be. Boy, howdy, we ain't anywhere near that today. <laughs> yeah, the uh, I think the last I heard, we the, there used to be about ninety ninety three million acres of longleaf in this country, and we're down to about five. So we are we cut it all back back in the twenties and thirties, and we're just now starting to recover in certain areas. But yeah, the longleaf stretched from Virginia to Texas. It was a uh, it was, and it's a very important ecosystem. So as much as we can bring it back, the better. So what's the source? Oh, um, well, there's. Um, I'm sure your state wildlife agency has folks that could get you. Um, you're in Louisiana, correct? Affirmative. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the LDWF could possibly, uh, if you give them a call, they could help set you up with a, a good vendor. Um, lots of different cost sharing programs through the Fish and Wildlife Service through NRCS that will help you plant longleaf. Uh, if you're in the right, you know, you need to be in the right kind of habitat to, for longleaf to, to take hold. But yep. there's uh, any of those different sources, and they'll actually help pay for putting it in for you. So All right. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. Okay. Thank you. And I, I'm glad you all are doing something about the turds over here. I'm surprised they're so late. We always got to in uh-oh. Sorry, Timothy, I think we're, we're losing you there, so we appreciate your call. Always good to hear from you. Uh, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Next, we'll got Sue from Beaumont on the line. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Uh, I live in Perry County. I'm surrounded by forest, and we've seen some of these black runners, I, I suppose you call them, mm-hmm. and everybody wants to jump on and kill them right away, and I said, no, don't bother those. I know they're not poisonous, but I wondered if, if the are there any creatures in this pine forest that are endangered now? Well, uh, we have the pine snake and the gopher tortoise are both, they're threatened, so it's not quite the level of an endangered species. We have different uh, classifications, but they do have a state endangered status, so I guess you could say they are. Uh, We also have the gopher frog, which is very, very critically imperiled. That's in South Mississippi, and we have the red cockaded woodpecker. So those are all protected species in the pine belt uh, that you'll find in in the forest. Well, thank you. Now, could I ask Dr. Major a question? Sure, go ahead. Dr. Major, are there any um, like viral, bacterial, or parasitic diseases that can be transmitted from dogs to humans? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. I see people kissing their dogs all the time. And I'm just wondering, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, is that safe? <clears throat> in, in, in general, it is safe. Uh, you know, certainly there are diseases that can be spread. The most dramatic one, of course, is rabies, but uh, that one usually would not be kissing your dog with that. But uh, 
you know, a lot of dogs have bad teeth. I had one the other day that would knock you down if you got close to its mouth just because <laughs> of uh, rotten teeth. But in general, answer to your question, no, they're not diseases. It's going to spread readily from, from dogs to people by doing that, okay? All right, Sue, thanks for your call. And that's good to hear that kissing your dog is not going to make uh, any trouble. It's other people that you have to worry <laughs> the about. The dog might not like it too much. <laughs> you know, just, just, <clears throat> just remember, and my dog kisses me too, so just, just remember the dog can lick over its whole body. So that's something to think about as well. All right. Uh, before our next break, Matt, that was interesting. Timothy's call. Uh, so, uh, longleaf pine. Would you, would you recommend that for folks who live in Southeast Mississippi, landowners that might be trying to uh, to you know maybe return some of their land to more a natural habitat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's why there are so many programs out there to try to uh, help landowners if they want to do this. Obviously, you, you need to have the right kind of soils. You need to be where longleaf should be. But if you are. Um, there's some there's some great programs out there through Fish and Wildlife again through the State Wildlife Agency through NRCS that'll help you get longleaf onto your land and manage it and a lot of it is what they call site prep where you have to get the the area prepared for putting longleaf longleaf in that means clearing out what used to be there uh, maybe possibly bedding but usually it's some sort of um, uh, mechanical or or chemical treatments just to get the, the land ready to bring the pine uh, seedlings in. All right. Uh, we need to take one last break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion. Today we're visiting with uh, Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We talk about the longleaf pine area of southeast Mississippi. You can uh, still join the conversation, if you'd like, at uh, by calling us at one 672-7464. That's one eight seven seven mpb ring Back to wrap up the program after this, so stay tuned. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest today is Matt Hinderleiter from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We've been talking about the longleaf pine ecosystem in southeast Mississippi and some of the animals uh, there. Um... Matt, we had an interesting question here. We've been talking about using fire or prescribed burning to help uh, rejuvenate an ecosystem. Someone says that they've seen uh, people burning off land in the spring. How does this affect nesting birds? That's a really good question because a lot of folks think that um, if you burn this time of year, April, May, June, that you you might have a negative impact on a lot of birds, especially turkeys and ground nesting birds, things like that. Uh, and they, this used to be a deterrent from when uh, folks didn't want to burn in the spring. They thought that their turkey uh, population might get impacted. But what we're finding now, and a lot of research, all the research I've been reading, is saying that you know these these animals evolved with fire this time of year. They wouldn't be here if they couldn't handle some fires in May and June. And most of the time, uh, when they've checked on nests before and after a burn. You might lose a nest here and there, but almost always those female turkeys will re-nest if they lose a nest. And the uh, the beneficial impacts to the habitat are incredibly, they outweigh a single nest that you might lose in a fire. So I would still definitely push this time of year to do burning. Um, if you see a single nest that might have gotten impacted by fire, you don't need to worry about it. That female turkey will re-nest. All right. Um, you know, what's interesting to me, you, we talked about how the, the black pine snake will share the uh, the burr of the, the gopher tortoise. And I guess that would be symbiosis, I guess you would call that? 
um, yeah. something close to it, I guess. I mean, does that happen a lot in nature where two two creatures learn to live together like that? I would think if neither is a threat to the other, then sure, that that's going to happen. They're, they're more just cohabitants than, I mean, they don't really have, get any um, positive impact from the other. Uh, the pine snakes will use tortoise burrows. They'll also use uh, pine stumps, burned out pine stumps and the stump holes. Uh, more more regularly than the uh, the, um, the tor- tortoise burrows, mainly because an animal wants to be in a in a refuge that's about as size the size of that animal that'll keep predators from coming in and finding it. So if a pine snake is in a tortoise burrow, obviously something like a fox could go down there, a raccoon, and easily get at it. But if it's in a a burned out root channel from a pine tree that's only about the size of the, of the snake, then nothing's really going to be able to get around it. All right. Um, our producer, Java, has found that there are a lot of posts online urging people to not paint gopher tortoises. Um, first of all, any idea why people would paint them to begin with and why should we not? Um, there are. There's always a few every year that we hear about um, where people, not just gopher tortoises, but box turtles, they'll find them and they'll give them to kids and maybe think it's fun to paint. Um this can have a a lot of negative impacts on the animal. Um, and I've heard about certain schools might paint them, you know, with the school colors and um, have it almost be a mascot. But we definitely do not want to do that, especially with something like a gopher tortoise that has federal protection. But um, it could be toxic to the animal. And also you figure this um, being a... Um, an ectotherm, it, it needs to get that. It needs to get the sunlight. It needs to get the vitamins from the sunlight. So if you paint over this entire shell, it's not going to be able to thermoregulate. It's not going to be able to get the sunlight, the vitamins that it needs. So it, ha- it can have a lot of pretty uh, drastic effects on the animal. You know, you, you mentioned the schools using for mascots. And, you know, outside of University of Maryland, the Terrapins, I'm not <laughs> sure, you know, fighting turtles would inspire much a uh, school spirit there. Nothing against the turtles, of course, but right. that just seems like that would be an interesting uh, choice for a mascot. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's an email for uh, Dr. Major. It says, we currently have a two-and-a-half-year-old female spayed dog and just took in an 18-month-old male foster dog. We took them for a walk as first introduction. We're crating the foster dog and swapping outdoor time throughout the day. With supervision, we've allowed our female to be loose in the backyard with the foster dog on a leash in small doses. Things are fine until the excitement level gets too high. Then she becomes defensive. He'll roll over and try to avoid her then. They can both be distracted by treat-centered commands. They also walk well together on a leash. What kind of behavior and time frame uh, from this can we expect? How do I tell the difference between play welcoming behaviors and aggressive behaviors? Well, it sounds like they're doing all the right things. I think you're just given some time. It should work its way out. Uh, at some point, they're going to have to just uh, see what really is going to happen when they let them together. Uh, but uh, the, the plan that they've got going seems to work well, or it should work well. And uh, just continue and be patient. Uh, this uh, female uh, seems to be probably threatened, and she's the dominant dog at this point. And not all pairing up works. Uh, sometimes there are some pretty severe issues from the standpoint of protecting the territory and being the, quote, alpha dog. So just be careful, but I'd continue on like you're doing. It should resolve itself in a fairly short period of time. All right. And I think a lot of times we don't uh, kind of 
equate what would happen if you know we were living somewhere and someone in our family brought in a stranger and you know <laughs> plopped him down in the middle of the house. It'd take us a little while to get used to it. Also, right. Yeah. Uh, let's get one last call in before the end of the hour, and it is Brenda in Poplarville. Good morning, Brenda. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Uh, I'm calling because on two occasions I have found box turtles that were hit and killed and their eggs were actually still intact and knocked right out of their bodies. I, uh, I know the eggs are not to be turned and I mean clearly they were turned when they were knocked out of the body and I picked them up carefully, tried to keep them oriented in the same direction, came home, googled how to uh, take care of turtle eggs and long story short I was not successful either time and I'm wondering if there's anything else I could do or if I perhaps could get them to the turtle rescue and thank you so much for that information just some hints on that please yeah thanks for calling the uh, the turtle rescue folks do take eggs uh, I, I've had the same thing happen before where I've found a, a female that had been killed, but I was able to get uh, see that she had eggs, and um, it's it's a little tricky. There are different ways of doing it. What we used to uh, use is a mixture of water and vermiculite in a bin, and you want to cover that over with saran wrap so it keeps a nice humid environment in there, and it and you want to make sure it stays fairly warm but not hot. You don't wouldn't want it in direct sunlight. But if you have any questions, definitely call the the rescue folks. They do take eggs and incubate. They have an incubator on. Uh, on site, so they are able to um, to grow hatchlings there too. So that they're a great resource. Wonderful, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for calling in, Brenda. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, so Matt, we've been talking about uh, the gopher tortoise for a while. We also been talking about the black pine snake. Uh, when we talk about the pine snake, what are what are the threats uh, to that animal? A lot of the same ones, again, with uh, huge losses in the amount of longleaf pine habitat that's here. The, the animals that live there are also becoming, uh, we get to see the similar decline. So they live in a very similar habitat with the gopher tortoise. Um, and so they have a lot of the same threats. They'll move a lot more than the tortoises do. So they'll have um, the road mortality as a huge issue with especially larger snakes. If you just picture a very large black snake crossing most roads in South Mississippi, um, if a car comes along, it probably doesn't stand a very good chance of making it across. So that's one thing we're trying to teach folks and just make sure to not to uh, just try to try to avoid the, any snake you see in the road if it's safe to do so. Um, but that is a big uh, factor with them as well. Okay, so about a minute left. What would you say is the trend in terms of uh, trying to protect uh, this important ecosystem and, and the, the couple of creatures and the other things that live there that we've been talking about this morning? Well, if it's in terms of how many people are talking about it and getting programs, then I think it's very much on the upswing. We are really trying to turn around how much longleaf we're getting out there, how much we're managing it correctly, and just changing folks' minds that – you know, this isn't just about the the rare reptiles that are might, might be out there. If you manage for the, your property the way the native ecosystem is supposed to be, all of your game species, all of these animals will start coming back in bigger numbers. It's it's what's supposed to be there. So I think it's definitely on the upswing, and there's a lot of funding available for folks that might want to help out. And then if someone has heard the show, maybe wants to be more interested in maybe a landowner in southeast Mississippi, uh, could you point them maybe to a website or somewhere online that they could learn more information? Sure. Um, again, the MDWFP, the State Wildlife Program, um, 
as well as the National Resource Conservation Service, NRCS. They have programs to help folks plant longleaf and my organization, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. We have a partners program that helps folks um, plant and maintain longleaf pine. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio. Funding is provided in part by generous listeners like you. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash Creature Comforts. Our show is produced each week by Java Chapman, and our call screener this week was Liz Gill. So for Dr. Troy Major, Libby Hartfield, and our guest Matt Hinderleiter, I'm Kevin Farrell. Stay tuned up next at 10. It's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 with another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio.